Amen. Thank you, Brother Smith. I love that song and truth and, and appreciate using um, as much as we can Brother Smith while he's here and uh, always appreciate his singing. Ephesians chapter number six, we started a few services ago dealing with victory in this matter of spiritual warfare and I want to continue that tonight and we'll do it Sunday night and probably Wednesday night um, before I depart for a few weeks and want to get this in and it's going to be long after when we get back as well dealing with the various uh, components of this but I want to get far enough in so we can understand a little bit more because our victory hinges upon our victory in the realm of spiritual warfare. We talked last time I think it was on the 15th it was a Sunday week and a half ago and we looked at this matter of Ephesians 6 and we talked about the location of the spiritual battle that we're facing. And Paul told the church of Ephesus that our blessings are in the heavenly places. But not just our blessings, but he talked about the fact that Jesus too is in the heavenly places. They're at the right hand of the Father. And not only the blessings in the Lord Jesus, but we ourselves, if we're saved, we're seated with him in these heavenly places. And then he also told us about the angels that are located there in the heavenly places. But also the demonic realm is in this unseen area and realm in these heavenly places. And so with so much going on in the heavenly places, it only makes sense that we learn and apply as much as we can on how to function, how to operate effectively in heavenly places. After all, we're in a war and ground zero is located in the heavenly places. So the physical world simply manifest what is already happening in the spiritual world. And if you're unaware of the reality of that spiritual realm, you'll be unaware of how that realm operates. And it'll cause you to be unprepared. It'll cause you to be ill-equipped to live out your victory in your physical life, those five senses. So I want us to realize that our ultimate reality is taking place in the heavenly places in the spiritual realm. In other words, our conversations, our decisions, our battles, it all occurs in the spiritual realm and it unilaterally it makes impact upon our lives in the physical realm. And unless we realize that truth, we're going to continue to look for physical solutions to solve spiritual problems. And that's why churches get into a mess because it is not designed to find its answers within the five senses. And thankfully, God's given us the item, and we've already talked about it tonight, to use to remind us of our spiritual location and how we can operate, and it's found in the Word of God. Now tonight, I want us to, after having that understanding of this, I want us to move into uh, studying Satan's game and begin to see what Paul has given to us. And so let's again look at this familiar passage. We keep going back to Ephesians 6 and beginning in verse number 10. Let me invite you to stand together. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. And Paul's bringing this conclusion and all these things that we've talked about, he's emphasized in Ephesians that are located in the heavenly 
in this spiritual realm. And he says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so Paul is giving us something of Satan's game. These powers that he mentions, the principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, these powers seek to rob you of all that God has stored up in the heavenly places by way of the blessings that he has located there. And Paul encourages us to wrestle, to do battle in the most unique way. He says to do so by standing firm. Stand firm against the enemy's schemes and techniques. Now, can you see why vacillating, why in unbelief, this limping, um, faithful, sometimes not faithful, this wishy-washy double-mindedness. You see why you're not going to win spiritual battles and spiritual victories because he's calling for standing firm that we may be able to, verse 11, stand against the wiles of the devil. And one way to stand firm is to learn what his strategies are. And I want us to look at the strategies of Satan tonight. Thank you. Please be seated. This we should know, but the demonic realm does not want you to know their methodology. They don't want you to figure out their approach. They want you to continue to picture them with horns, a pitchfork, a red jumpsuit. Because if you continue to think of demonic beings in this way, you're not going to take them serious. Nor will you battle them effectively before an upcoming game perhaps of any kind, but especially I know in football, the players and coaches, they watch film. Mike Singletary, who is the, the great Chicago Bears linebacker for many years, they said when he would watch film, he just didn't watch film for the opponents that he would be going up against, but he watched and he studied film on what everybody was doing on the field. He, he knew what everybody around him was doing. He studied so intently. Well, in the spiritual warfare, our opponent, the devil, along with his team of demons, they've had thousands of years of studying humanity. And that's true. But I'm not sure how much of that he really needs because the first human beings that came into existence, he knew what to do with them. He's an expert on exploiting personality weaknesses. He's an expert at, at uh, getting in and, and uh, inflating one's ego. He's an expert 
on dealing with your trauma so that he can exasperate the situation. He's an expert at getting into racial and gender divisions. He's an expert at our flesh and the desires that our flesh may have and many other areas of our human nature. And the demonic realm has been watching your game film and mine since our conception. Satan and his demons, they know what happened to you when you were a child. They know what happened to you that messed you up. They know what messed up your thinking. They know what lowered your self-esteem. They know what led to sin patterns that now seem unbreakable in your life. They know that. They know about the issues and the abuse either to you or from you. They know how you operate within this physical world. They know what frustrates you, what wears you down, and it gives them an opportunity to move in on you. They know that. They have one purpose for watching your game film. It's to gather this kind of knowledge. It's to exploit your weaknesses, to do their advantage in order to deceive you. Why? So they can defeat you. It's all about defeat. Now, this may sound bleak and hopeless, but the good news is that we also have access to game film. And we have a coach who is a victor, uh, who has never lost, and he knows our opponent's weaknesses, and he's told us what those weaknesses are in his word. He's given us a step-by-step -step summary of the game film, the Bible. And in it, we discover everything we need to know in order to experience victory in this spiritual battle. But know this. No. God has given each of us everything we need to defeat our enemy. But it is up to us to look at the authority, study the femme, and play according to God's rules and his strategies. Now, we've got to remember our enemy is a crafty, crafty opponent. And unless we do battle against him correctly, he will always outwit us. Always. He always will. After all, he knows just what button to push to get you to go somewhere you never thought you would go. To do what you never thought you would do. The man after God's own heart. He did that which was after Satan's own heart. The man who said, I'll never deny you, did what the greatest denier ever did. See, Satan has your game film. And he's going to work and push the buttons both in your emotions and in your actions. It's time. It's time for us to study his game fell. The story is told about a farmer who was perpetually having his watermelon stolen by thieves. He came to a point with something um, that, that he could do about it and a strategy he came up with. And, and if he didn't do something, he felt like he was going to end up losing a large amount of his profit. So the farmer came up with a brilliant idea and he decided to post a sign on his farm that read, one of these melons is poisonous. Well, the next day the farmer went out to view his melons and he discovered what he thought would be the case all along. 
none of his melons had been stolen. Satisfied because he thought he had outsmarted the thieves, the farmer went about the rest of his day filled with gratification and satisfaction. However, the following day, when the farmer went back to work in his field, he saw that the word one had been scratched out on his sign and scribbled next to it. It was the word two, T-W-O. So that the sign now read, two of these melons are poisonous. The farmer lost his entire crop because he didn't know which other melon had been poisoned. The story is just like dealing with the devil. No matter what you or I come up with, Satan is going to come up with something better. No matter what New Year's resolutions or positive thinking or 10-step plan you or I make, Satan is always going to knock us off course by the time we take step number one if he wants us to, if he wants that to be the case. See, the only way to live in the victory that's been secured in that spiritual realm and the spiritual warfare is to learn his strategies and his weaknesses and to stand firm in God's strength according to God's prescribed plays in the heavenly realm. See, we cannot outwit. You cannot outsmart the father of lies, the master of deception. We cannot. To try to do so on our own, it's foolish. If winning this spiritual chess game were left up to us, remember how we started this the, with that picture of the, the checkmate, the, the, the young man playing against the devil? And if the only way of winning this spiritual chess game were left up to us, we'd be sweating and we'd be crying like the young man in this painting. In fact, many of us take it upon ourselves to battle this war in our own strength, in our own wisdom. We get a burst of energy because we've taken some steps with the Lord or we've seen God's blessing. And what happens is we do it in our own strength, in our own wisdom, and we end up sweating and crying more than we ought to. However, remember, we do have a champion. He knows what we need to do to finish this game. And it's time to put God's strategies for victory and spiritual warfare into practice. And to make the devil and his demons the ones who sweat and cry instead of us. Remember, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church and so we do have promise of victory. So the question is, are you ready to study some of the film of Satan's strategies? Well, let's take a look in advance in victory, shall we? Notice in verse number 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, excuse me, verse number 11. Notice a word here. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the, what's the word? Wiles. This word wiles simply means deceptive strategies. Deceptive strategy. See, Satan's overarching strategy, which he carries out in many ways, his overarching strategy is to deceive. It's all about deception. He is the ultimate magician operating not only with smoke and mirrors, but also with the sleight of hand. Remember Genesis chapter number 3. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, Satan came to them in the form of a 
snake. The snake was the most deceptive of all the animals that God had created. We know this in verse number 1, Genesis 3. The reason Satan took on the form of a snake is because he and his demons, they operate best when there is a physical presence through which to work. Remember this principle. While spiritual warfare is being waged in heavenly places, our enemy is very skilled at locating available vehicles in the physical realm through which to influence, to manipulate, and to deceive. See, the battle is taking place in the spiritual realm. But while that heavenly warfare is taking place in heavenly places, the enemy is very skillful in locating available vehicles in the physical realm so that he can manipulate, influence, and deceive. And so he chose the snake, I think ever since then, the, the um, preferred vehicle in which Satan operates has been a cat. And so I just I don't have a lot of Bible for that. I just throw it out there. Yeah. Anyway, Satan comes to us in a form that we would not suspect. So maybe it rules out the cat. I don't know. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse number 14, he tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, Satan can counterfeit. Satan can manipulate. One of the things that Satan cannot do, however, while he's a being of light, he can disguise himself as an angel of light. He cannot give life. And so there is, there, he does not have all authority and power. He cannot give life, but he can manufacture and counterfeit light. And this adds a whole other dimension to the problem we face and the problem we fight in the spiritual realm because our problems, they don't just exist in the invisible spiritual realm. Now they also exist in the often unsuspecting vehicle Satan uses to get to you in the physical realm. It includes your mind, your will, your emotions, and your body. Now Satan's agenda, just as God has an agenda in this kingdom age in which we live, and it involves his rule, his reign, his authority, his will that is taking place in heaven uh, unhindered, being done here upon earth, Satan too has an agenda. And he uses his deception in order to accomplish his agenda of bringing the world under his influence and his control. He also seeks, in order to accomplish his agenda, uh, he also seeks to make Christians ineffective in the spiritual battles waging uh, all around us. And, and it reduces any glory that God gets. So if he can get God's people to stay focused on the physical and not be in tune, we'll just take Sunday night's message uh, of, of wanting the will of God, surrendering to the will of God. That's the most basic. That's the very, the first step after getting saved is not baptism. Baptism is the outflow of the first decision that ought to be made of every Christian and of every day of our life. What will thou have me to do and submit to it? And all Satan is trying to do is to, to deceive in such a way that we will miss it 
And that we will even have this, this counterfeit idea, well, I, I, I'm in church, I think I have it, but remember Judas was in church and he's now in hell. So Satan pursues his agenda by intentionally penetrating the same four realms that God works through. God works through three, or excuse me, four primary, um, yeah, before, four tonight, four primary areas to bring glory to himself. And Satan is going to use those same four areas to bring about deception. Why? So he can bring about defeat, which will do what? It'll rob God of any glory and it keeps him in this matter of destroying what is precious to God. And so what are these four areas? Well, first of all, Satan's agenda is going to be seen working through, number one, the individual. The individual. You, personally. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, remember back when I was younger, we went to these haunted houses around Halloween and I don't um, advertise those to do those. And we went to some Christian ones. And, but but I, I'll tell you, that was a time, especially as a little boy, I was very sober and very vigilant walking through. And, and, and that's the way we ought to walk through. Not out of, out of fear of what he may do, but out of sobriety because of what he's up to. Be sober. Have a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's seeking someone to devour. To put it another way, Satan is after you. He's after you. And I think he finds his place of, of settling down with those who will... Now, I'm, I'm not responding to the will of God message and you begin to make all kinds of excuses. This person's the problem in my life. That preacher's a hypocrite. I ain't got to listen to him. And you begin, you're just playing right into, he's the one. He's pulling you away from the herd, from the pride, from the, plot, from the flock, and he's going to destroy you. He'll play around with you. Have you ever seen a cat play with its prey with the mouse? And um, they say that they bring them to you to show their appreciation. I don't know who ever got into a mind of a cat and figured that out. No, I say, no, they're demonic. They're just telling you, if I were bigger, here's what I would do with you. And that's, that's what they're doing. No, my cat is something different. Well, you open up the door and let it out and, and, um, and you just see what, what they really think about you. And no matter who you are, what your status is, what your income might be, no matter how successful you are, doesn't matter, or how well known you happen to be, Satan is seeking to overpower you. What's worse is that he's become very successful at carrying out his schemes in an effort to do just that. He's been extremely successful. In fact, if we look closely enough in the Christian life and in our circles as you know it, in your, your experience of church and Christianity, You'll find many brothers and sisters who are POWs, prisoners of war, 
in camps run by demons. Satan has overpowered them in areas. I'm talking about people of God. Satan has overpowered them in the area of drugs, alcohol, relationships, sex, bitterness, hopelessness, discouragement, low self-esteem, depression, arrogance, codependency, acceptance. See, psychologists, they may have some fancy names for all of these and, and more, but essentially what Satan has done is turn an overcoming, conqueror, blood-bought child of God, child of the king, into a POW being held hostage to mental instabilities and inaccuracies. And if Satan can cripple or destroy an individual, he is that much further along in crippling families and churches and societies. And so he's going to work through you as an individual. But here's a second form in which Satan is going to operate. The same in which God is going to get glory, Satan is going to operate through to deceive. And that is, number two, the family. The family. This Ephesians chapter 6, the beginning of the passage of the chapter, he talks about the family. That's exactly what took place when Satan tempted Eve. And then Eve tempted Adam which brought the entire family under the authority, listen to me, of hell. She was out of place because he was out of place. She shouldn't have been talking. She should have been submitting. And he shouldn't have been silent. He should have been leading. She heard from Satan, and it was his responsibility to step in and say to her, listen, woman, there are two voices, God's voice, And Satan's voice, and you're listening to the wrong one. But I'll tell you whose problem it was. It was Adam's problem. Eve was deceived because Adam did not lead. And that's why we put a premium upon men leading. And there are young people, there are children in the family who are acting like mom and dad, who are bellyaching and fighting on the wrong sphere. They're fighting in the realm of the senses because they have blind spots because they're listening to the wrong stinking voice from hell. And Satan's been at it for quite some time. And as long as you sit there and say, I don't agree with you, then you're going to play right into the hands of Satan because the Bible tells us that's his plan. We see it in Genesis 6. When the demonized men had relations with the women on earth, producing a generation of rebels. See, there have been countless ways that Satan attacked the family in the Bible over the course of history. And why is the family so important to Satan? Why is the family so important to him? Because Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we learn that God is going to use the seed of mankind to bruise Satan in battle. And Satan has known this. The spiritual battle will be waged by the offspring. This is one reason God has issued the command in Genesis 1 and verse 28 to Christians to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. See, Satan wants to destroy you as an individual, but he wants to destroy the family even more. 
Because if he can destroy your family, he can do more damage than simply destroying the present generation. See, by destroying your family, he increases the potential to destroy future generations. And this is because if he can get to your children before you have a chance to mold them, shape them, direct them, guide them correctly. He not only has influence over your home, but he also has influence over their future homes. See, if they're given over to strongholds in their lives, they'll be less equipped to raise their children in such a way that will teach them to live in obedience to Christ. I'll tell you, here's one of the great problems with homeschooled families. Home is not the problem. School is not the problem. But a wrong mindset out of the pit of hell that exists, and that is you as a child, you're going to obey father and mother. Don't you know the verse, children obey your parents and the Lord, and every parent teaches their children that. But here is the, 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 the very reflection of hell. Hell's venom is when a young person says, we're not crossing mom and dad, but if your name isn't mom and if your title's not dad, no matter who you might be, we will simply turn our back against you because no authority is greater than mom and dad. Do you hear me? God hates it. God hates it. And that comes out of the pit of hell. And that's exactly where it ought to go back to. And you are playing into the hands of Satan to destroy your family. Let me say it again. I was with a pastor in Wisconsin. He had 30-some homeschooled families in the church. I said, that ought to be a blessing. He said, it's a curse. He said, it's like pastoring 30 principals, all women. And when it comes to having a revival meeting, they're all going to talk about, well, we have this thing going on. We have soccer. We have co-op. We have this and we have this. And he said, just once, I just wish one of their husbands would step up and be a man and come in and sit down. And let's talk about that God did create something else other than just the family also created the church in which the family ought to be under its umbrella. One of the great dangers of the Bill Gothard movement was making an emphasis upon the home while forgetting that Jesus did not die for the home. He died for the church. You may not care about your future generations, but God does and this pastor does as well. The devil knows that if you cannot get your children to Raised, be raised up to follow God no matter what. That's why Dr. Jim hits so hard having a passion. And if you're sitting around in your 20s trying to figure out what the will of God is, and, and every, every time he comes back, he, it's the same bird. He says, I'm tired of going around the country and seeing these 20-year-olds become 30-year-olds and still not quite sure what God wants them to do. And he said that we ought to have figured that out. The very day we got saved, at least got the direction established. Because if not, the cycle repeats itself down through the generations. And the tragedy today is that many Christians think they're fighting flesh and blood in their marital and parenting issues. Instead, of realizing that Satan has an agenda to destroy your home. He's not trying to prop it up. He's trying to absolutely destroy it. And when mom is not in tune to what the Bible says of what a mom ought to be, you're a part of Satan's destruction of your home. I remember being in a department store where my wife was trying on a dress one time and sitting there, and I watched a young lady come out of the, the um 
the dressing room and she had something on and she said to her mom, she said, uh, I don't know if dad's going to go for this. And the mom looked at her and said, you let me take care of your dad. You know what that mom did? She undermined her own authority. You say, preacher, I would never do that. But anytime you undermine some other authority, you've undermined your own authority. And you're on your way to opening the door and saying, Satan, come on in to our family. See, whoever controls the family controls the future. Let me give you a third realm that Satan attacks. It's the third realm, not just you as an individual, not just the, uh, the, the family, but number three, the church. The church. He does this by manipulating. He does it by exploiting. He does it through manipulating and exploiting personality differences, preferences, so that he can promote division. Uh, he does it through uh, legalism. Uh, if you want to, it's not legalism just in salvation, but legalism in the Christian life. And, um, and I, I've been called a legalist before, and, and I've said, well, what's a legalist? Well, I don't know. Well, I don't mind the free publicity, but you at least ought to know what it means. And legalism, whether it's salvation or sanctification, just simply means you're doing something in order to gain favor and salvation. It's salvation and sanctification. It's God's favor and power. You're doing something to earn His favor and power. I'm not doing anything to earn His favor and power. He's done it all. I'm just simply taking by faith. And that's not legalism. But legalism can creep in and the devil will use it. If you want to be like us, you've got to do this. And Satan wants to split the family of God just like he wants to destroy the family unit but he wants to split God's church the body of Christ where Christ is the head and he wants to split the family of God because he understands something that many Christians still don't get and that is God's work and God's involvement is greatly reduced in a context of disunity it's greatly reduced so there must be harmony brought about through a genuine, authentic, humility, biblically defined love. And that's why I'm excited about our 1 Corinthians 13. If we're going to witness the fullest manifestation of God's presence and his power. See, if Satan can divide the body of Christ along classes, race, gender, personality, personality lines. Well, he can see, deceive the entire church into making governmental functioning decisions based upon personality, preferences, rather than upon God's viewpoint. Let me remind us, Proverbs chapter 6, these six things doth the Lord hate. Verse number 19 says, God hates discord. He hates it. Yeah, we got one amen, but I'm telling you, God gave you a very short list of what he hates. He hates discord. What is it that goes with discord? Proverbs 6, 19, a false witness that speaketh lies and he that soweth discord among brethren. And I will say there has been an allowance and, and I am not 
completely right with the Lord until I disallow discord from existing. And there are those who don't mind talking about the leadership, talking about a Sunday school teacher, talking about a deacon, and even talking about this pastor. I want to tell you, God hates it. And before you bellyache to me about what you think, you understand I am the pastor. And everyone has a right and responsibility to have access to me. And I don't have to follow your whims in order to explain every dot and detail to you. But you do have a right and you do have a responsibility to make sure your conscience is right before God. And any talking to someone who's not part of the problem and the solution, you're out of line. It's called discord. And God hates it. And if God hates it, I don't care if it's your brother, I don't care if your mom is the Pope's aunt, it should not be allowed to take place in your home. I don't care if you ride four hours to church and that's where it exists. You, my friend, you, God's child, you are doing that which God Almighty hates. Hmm. Wish I knew how to be plainer about that because it's much more serious than what we think. And the very people that are promoting discord and disunity are the very same ones who don't have the foggiest idea what God would have them to do. And when it came to the hand raising of surrender to the will of God, they're the ones sitting there going, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think. I know. No, but you're very opinionated about what you think versus what God Almighty says. And moms and dads, if you don't get on your face and start crying out to God and quit coddling your bitterness and your belly aching and let your kids see they may be 50 years old but it's high time that they see you have an awakening because God is real and Satan's counterfeiting everything see fellowship in the body of Christ is based upon our allegiance to Jesus Christ Ephesians 4.3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace preserve the unity and here's what you're not going to find. You won't find it in Ephesians. You don't find it in Philippians where he talks about being unified and unified and unified and unified. He doesn't say be unified when you agree. Be unified where it exists. And I, I will tell you, it, it, I'm not sit, I will not sit and sweat about, well, I just don't know if they're going to stay around if, if, if they don't get their way. It's not your way. It's not my way. Jesus said he is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And I want to tell you if you refuse to get right and get in then all you're doing is getting in the way all you're doing is getting in the way well I just think we might leave if that's the only option you come up with you don't have a half a brain cell working for Jesus tonight here's the other option if we confess our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness there's a better option let me give you another one, since we're doing so well on this one. And, and let me remind you of this. I don't know why I didn't write it here. I said it earlier. But remember the verse, remember what Jesus said? The church is on the offense. The church is on the offense. The gates, the authority of hell shall not prevail against the church. So what is Satan trying to do? Put us on the defense. Put us on the defense. Here's the last one. Satan's going to work through society. 
through society. Back when we went through Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, we saw how Satan was behind the rulers of the nations. You know, Satan is behind lifting up. You say, yeah, we, we knew that's what happened in the last election. Yeah, we, we, he's the one who, who got in. He was the one doing the tampering. Well, he's, behind, he's always been behind the Hitlers and the Mussolinis and the countless other rulers. And, and, and what has happened is innocent people have been caught in the wake. It goes all the way back to Nero. Yeah. It goes all the way back to Herod. I mean, it keeps going back. See, Satan frequently strives to provoke, to empower, to enable different ones, people, entire nations to destroy people groups. See, when sin entered the world, it corrupted not only individuals, but also human institutions that compromise society as well. And Satan seeks to capitalize on the corruption to such a degree as to make societies into entities that oppress personal freedom and opportunity rather than serve as instruments as they've been designed by God to promote biblical justice. That's why voting is important. At least why you have an ability to vote. The Bible's clear that God has made distinct arrangements. We, we, we talk about these as if you've ever heard dispensations in the Bible. God has made distinct arrangements or covenants through which he works. He works with the individual, the family, the church, and the government in various ways. And all have been created by God, and they are to be influenced by God. And when you understand, however, Satan's agenda is to overpower individuals and families and churches and ultimately societies as a whole, you can understand the complex nature of the spiritual battle we're in. Now, until we trace the origin of our prisoner of war status, our own personal POW status, or our own family POW status, or our own church POW status, or our society POW status, Satan has us defeated in the body of Christ because he has us wrestling against flesh and blood and, and, and rather against the principalities and the powers and the world forces located in the heavenly places. Saying if we're going to experience victory in Jesus, it takes victory in the spiritual realm. And Satan has a strategy. It's all about deception because it's ultimately about destruction. Now, I trust it'll help to study the game film in the Word of God. Let's stand together, please.